everybody, welcome to the Years of Americans. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm so happy to share my conversation with Sarah Yu, who is a career counselor at the University of California in Irvine. Before we get to the conversation with Sarah, I want to share with you another Asian American-owned business, and that is Cafe Dolce. Little Tokyo at the USC Village and in Vernon, James Choi and his team have been serving up amazing coffee and pastries for years, and he is working with the Go Little Tokyo team, which is part of the Little Tokyo Community Council, really helping the local businesses and residents of Little Tokyo stay open and stay fed and stay safe and healthy during these times. James has really been a beacon of the community in Little Tokyo and at the USC Village. And if you've been to his place, you know that it's always packed. There's always lines out there. And he does have donuts with bacon on him, which is amazing. James also happens to be a USC classmate of mine. So to all of our Trojans friends listening, fight on. Uh, learn more about how he is helping the businesses. Learn how you can help. Uh, go to at Cafe Dolce. They are still doing pickups uh, at the Little Tokyo location in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, but connect with him. See how you can help. And on Instagram, you can find him at Cafe Dolce. That's at Cafe Dolce LA. You'll find the links in the podcast notes or in the post where you are seeing this. So, James, thank you so much for doing what you're doing right now and and uh, making sure that you, your employees are, are taken care of as well as the members of the Little Tokyo community. And here now is my conversation with Sarah Yu. Welcome to Dear Asian Americans. I hope you are staying safe. I hope you are staying a little bit sane as we are all getting used to staying home um, and um, engaging with each other and interacting with friends and family, uh, not in person, but more in a digital way. Uh, but it is so necessary. And so as hard as, hard as it is, uh, thank you for doing that. If you're listening to this at home, uh, thank you for listening. Um, however you're listening to it, I really appreciate every single person that listens. If you happen to be listening to this because you are one of the very few people who are still having to go to work, um, thank you, not for listening, but for going to work, um, for making sure that we can get through these challenging times um, as, as fast and as safely as we can. So um, to not just the healthcare workers, but to everybody else uh, who may be listening to this, um, really, 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 really thank you. And so today my guest is somebody who I've known for a very long time. Our paths have crossed and our lives have crossed paths in a number of different ways. And I think we share so many genes in the way that we genuinely, genuinely, genuinely love talking to and helping the future of our world. And that is our, our student population. Um, so I'm so excited to have this discussion with Sarah Yu, um, who is a career counselor uh, right now at the University of California in Irvine. So Sarah, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Career services or higher educational professionals in, in that world, uh, we've had other folks uh, from higher education on the show before. And, and then one common theme I think we share, and we experience it as students, but also particularly being in the university atmosphere, is we don't see a lot of people that look like me and you. Um, career choices, particularly in the Asian American context, uh, the joke as we say a lot on this show, is you get three choices on the menu or you can't eat, right? So, <laughs> and, and by now everybody knows what those three things are. So, you know, how did you talk to me about the early years of the Yu family moving to America and, and how did some of those earlier experiences growing up here uh, framed or 
helped you realize that it was important to pick a career path where you would help students? Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, so first off, like our family immigrated to uh, Los Angeles when I was six years old. So this is like in the you know late 80s. I remember, um, you know, at the Seoul airport, in South Korea, like clutching this um, tiger, that's the emblem of the the, the Seoul Olympics of 1988. So the, the few memories I had as a six-year-old just clutching that tiger, knowing we were getting on a plane, but not really sure what was going on because I was too young to comprehend. But um, our family, my parents, my sister and I, we moved to uh, Los Angeles um, in the late 80s. And we, uh, you know, lived for a little bit in Koreatown where my parents were able to um, set up a little swamp meet um, where some of their close, you know, friends from high school had also a swamp meet in um, South LA. So that's kind of where they first started their small business venture. And um, I think soon my parents realized that um, it wasn't the safest area to raise a family. Uh, <laughs> Korea town's very different now, but back, back in the late eighties, it was really dangerous at night. And so um you know, my parents uh, moved us over to Orange County in uh, Buena Park area. Um, and so that's where I, my family and I grew up since I was in, you know, kindergarten, first grade kindergarten, lived there. And then um, after I graduated, you know, high school, I decided to go to uh, UC San Diego for college. And um, being the clueless um, liberal arts student that I wa- um, was, I picked sociology so to kind of give some context, um, my parent, in terms of what my parents wanted me to do, I think they weren't that stri- they weren't as strict as some other parents. Like, you know, you joke about the whole stereotype that it's either doctor, lawyer, or engineer, um, or pharmacist, or you know something like that. But um, I think because my parents, you know, thankfully my parents were college educated in you know in their home country, but coming to the U.S., they had no knowledge of the system of education here. You know, they just knew in the grand scheme that this was a place for opportunity and that my sister and I would have more opportunities here than, you know, in their home country. But I think they didn't grasp the realms of possibilities for us. So I think because of that lack of knowledge or ignorance, they were just like, oh, be a nurse. If you can't be a doctor, be a nurse. You know, if you can't be a professor, then be a high school teacher. You know, it's kind of like... They're very, you know, they were open-minded in that sense. They, you know, I, I acknowledge too that like, I don't want to be a doctor or lawyer, you know, <laughs> or engineer. Like that, those were not my gifts. Um, so it was a, it was definitely a journey of a discovery. But those were like, if you can't be, if you don't want to be a doctor, be a nurse. If you don't want to be a professor, like those are just like minor league types of jobs to the, <laughs> the holy grail of the, it's, it's funny, right? Because yeah. it's. And then the, you, you have like the um, sort of in the similar vein, like not ideal yet fine, we'll live with it jobs, right? Like, and and so, um, but the way we, we, we view jobs and the way we view work, uh, very different from the generation that, you know, you and I grew up um, because growing up, what we aspired to be were these specific titles that generally came with letters after our names or um, ultimately you know, maybe outside of engineer, but lawyer and doctor within the greater Asian American immigrant communities were still sort of the entrepreneurial mindset because you would have your own practice or, you know, have a partnership of some sort. Um, but you chose a very, like, it's it's a path where you, for now, and you have for your career, existed in very hierarchical systems, um, higher education, 
whatever your opinions of school systems are, we can all agree that they are very challenging systems to navigate with different rules for different school systems and whatnot. Um, and obviously the very different student populations that come through those doors. Um, so going from UCSD studying sociology, you eventually went to get your master's um, and landed or started to work within higher education systems across uh, public schools, private schools. Um, what was the impetus for wanting to do that? Yeah, um, to be honest, it was a very roundabout way to get there. So um, after getting that sociology degree, I still didn't have much clarity around what I wanted to do, to be honest. Um, I, met, I remember meeting with my career advisor as a senior at UC San Diego. is an older white lady, really sweet, very kind, uh, very insightful. And I just remember talking to her like, I think I'm good with people. I think I enjoy guiding and coaching people but I don't want to be a school teacher. You know, I was like, maybe I want to be a high school counselor because that was familiar to me. You know, I worked with a high school counselor to get to college. Uh, so I told her, I was like, you know, what are the alternatives beside being a high school counselor? What if that's not, what if that's not the right fit for me? What if I don't want to work with parents and students in that capacity, right? And so I just asked her, I was like, well, how do I get your job? You know, <laughs> I was like, I, I think what you seem to do, and she's she's an older woman, she was doing it for many decades, she seemed to really love it, like really passionate about it. I was like, well, how do I get your job? Like, how do I get into your career? And so she talked me through like, oh, you need to get a master's degree in educational counseling for higher ed. Um, you need to get some experience. You need to learn about different types of work out there, how to get to those points. But Kind of to backtrack a little bit in high school, um, I remember my high school in La Palma, Kennedy High School, um, received the LA Times newspaper back when people used to actually read the print copies of the newspaper. And I remember uh, looking for the education section of that newspaper every week. So it comes out, the education subsection comes out once a week. And they went through a lot of issues impacting K-12 and higher ed within the state of California, which California is the model of, of the, uh, the public school, uh, public university system. And so I remember having a genuine interest in knowing about what was impact, the demographic changes and how that was impacting higher ed and funding and what admissions look like as a result of the higher levels of immigrant population coming into California the last couple of decades. So I just personally had a very keen interest in that. And so after about a year of reflecting on that post-college, talking to other college counselors at different community college and four-year colleges who were all Caucasian, all lovely, kind people, I said, you know what, this is something I want to do because A, I'm passionate about it. B, I believe in the higher education system. Not, It's not right fit for everybody, but for a lot of people, it's a way toward upward mobility in society, right? No matter what income class you come from uh, or socioeconomic background. So for me, I was like, this is a place I can make an impact. I enjoy meeting with students. I enjoy being in that learning environment uh, where there's research going on and, and a lot of discussion going on. So that's where I started to get some clarity around that. And that's where I and, uh, applied a few different graduate schools in California. And I only got accepted to one. <laughs> so I just went there. But thankfully, it was one of the best 
programs, uh, which is Cal State Long Beach, and got my master's in uh, counseling and higher education. And also, thankfully, it was a very affordable program. So I walked out with less than $20,000 in student loan debt, which I know that's something that you've you know, talked about on your show before. So um, I'm very proud to say I'm you know, a, a product of the public school system, K-12 and beyond. Were you engaged with students professionally, have run the gamut from state universities uh, to Pomona College, which has a very different demographic than where you went after at USC, and then eventually down to Irvine, which has a very evolving and out of those four, probably the most heavily uh, technically diverse, but you know a lot of Asian American folks there. Um, how does, are your conversations or do you feel that the conversations that you have with Asian American students have a little bit of a different comfort feel to it? Or do you get the sense that they feel relieved to see you because of some of the cultural things that they don't need to explain or have to even justify to their counselor? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I wrote about this before, but uh, in meeting with many of my students. So looking at UCI, about half the school, about half our students at UCI are first generation, meaning first in their family to attend college. Wow. And then about a third identifies Asian. So that could mean that they're international, they're from China or Japan or some Asian country. Um, so that's kind of a, a blended uh, approach. But in total, about a third or identifies Asian some capacity. So I would definitely say that meeting with Asian students, whether they're from China or they, you know, like me, have grown up here, born and raised here. Um, I would say there is a, definitely a comfort level. Like even if their parents are super liberal and Americanized and whatnot, there are things that we don't have to necessarily um, go out of our way to describe or try to understand about one another. And so even just talking with a student a few weeks ago about his favorite restaurants in Koreatown and <laughs> how I could, you know, I was in walking distance to Hanbat Tang, you know, and how much I miss that living in Irvine. I can't just you know, walk down the street and get it. Uh, it takes a lot more effort for me to get that. So I think just that shared comfort that we have with one another, I think is a relief for a lot of them because for, for whatever reason, students find our office a little bit intimidating. Like uh, they think that they have to have all the answers before they meet with us, uh, which is really, you know, is, is a misconception in a lot of ways. But um, I think they feel the pressure on themselves to be like, oh, I got to have my you know, shit together before I come meet with, you know, whoever, whoever the advisor is. But I think when they come in and see that I, I look very similar to them, um, that my family also, you know, had always had small businesses um, and always struggled. And I think there's a lot of just connection and comfort in that. So it, it's it's so cool because I never thought that my identity as, as a Korean American, Asian American would um, be such a huge asset to the team and to the students. Um, but it's, it's served in that way. And I feel that really to be true here at UCI, especially. Um, but I did experience some of that being at USC, which is incredibly diverse as well. And then a little bit less of that at Pomona College, which is a more, you know, highly selective private liberal arts where more of the students come from higher um, income, you know, families. I think that's awesome because I think one of the things that whether you're in higher education or in business or anything, you don't ever want to be known as like the Asian 
whatever, right? Like, oh, all the Asian students can go talk to Sarah. Or like, you know, um, when I was selling real estate in downtown LA, we had a lot of Korean buyers. So it was like, well, I hope you're not hiring me just because I can speak the language, but it's an added benefit, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and even for me in, 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 a, in a, I guess, a, a tangential way too, like it's one of those weird um, imposter syndrome types of things that you deal with. Like, why did you really hire me? Or like, you know, all things being equal, like, am I, do you see me as valuable as the next person or was my language or cultural understanding a tiebreaker in, in, in some sort of a hiring decision or whatnot? Um, uh, completely different conversation, which I think <laughs> hours and hours and hours. Um, but I think it is extremely important to have people who not only look like us, but have similar experiences because unfortunately, as diverse as our universities are, from a those who pay the tuition perspective, the those who make the decisions are still not as racially diverse, mm-hmm. certainly not as socioeconomically and life experience diverse as we need to really feel and know what the average student's experience is like to then help make the best experience possible. Um, and I think for many, many students regardless of um, where in the world you grew up, they grow up dealing with so many different career-related pressures, starting at home, uh, then with the larger extended family network or the community. And then once they come to school, or perhaps it starts in high school, the peer pressure of uh, the humble brag of, oh my God, I got into this, or, you know, my dad knows somebody, so I got a shoe in internship at that company. And, and and so how do you how do students deal with that? Um, and how I speaking from personal experience too, of in addition to all of that, there's a small, tiny, soft voice of, well, shit, but what I really want to do is blah. Mm-hmm. But we never often very few people actually get to that part of the process because they get influenced by all these other sure. things. And then now let's put this into the context of your immigrant parents hustle their face off for you to have this experience. So don't you owe it to them to do what they want you to do or the money sexy or, you know, so-and-so. There's so much pressure. How do you advise students or how are you seeing students deal with just general anxiety and stress of expectation management? Yeah, I mean, I think those expectations are real. So I think, first of all, we have to acknowledge them and say, this is what I'm experiencing. This is how it's it's impacting me. Here's how I'm processing that or reacting my initial reaction to that. Here's how I'm feeling. It's very visceral for a lot of us, uh, whether we acknowledge it or not. But I think the first step is acknowledging it and, and saying that it exists and it's real. Um, I think the second step is saying, you know, Certain people, whether it's my parents, my professors, my classmates, upperclassmen, um, an older mentor figure you have in your life, whoever those messages are coming from, they're all having a set defined uh, definition of what success looks like, right? And so I read this blog post recently of a higher, higher ed leader at Santa Clara University where she wrote an open letter to graduating seniors. And she talks about this, like this time that we're in right now which is incredibly stressful and, and anxiety-inducing in all of us, and especially those who are trying to enter the job market for the first time, 
we have to look at what success really means. And that's going to be different for everybody. You know, like I remember listening to Catalina talk on your podcast about like she got this fancy MBA degree from an amazing school, University of Michigan, but she didn't necessarily want to pursue a, you know, a lucrative consulting, you know, job. And that, that wasn't the, that wasn't her definition of success. You know, everyone is, everyone is so uniquely wired and that we have to, the journey and, and I think calling is for each of us to define what success really looks like, you know, and for me, it was never about the money. It was never about, I'm going to make this income buy this house, buy this car. Like, that wasn't how I define success. My success is how do I make the most impact in the students that I work with and help them define what success looks like for them and, and how that they could then be an impact, a positive impact to their commu- direct community. You know, So I think all of us have to take the time, just take that self-inventory and ask ourselves, okay, these are all the external messages, but internally, what is my intu- you know, what's my intuition? What is my self-defined purpose? And definition of success because that that has to look different for every person because we're all all so different i think we as a society um, american society for sure um, perhaps even more accentuated when we put the american asian american lens on it is we have fallen into the trap of worshiping logos of worshiping job titles and then somehow jumbling it all together and saying that somebody with a particular job title at a particular logo is a more valuable human being to the world and therefore their opinion and their acceptance or their approval means so much that we have unfortunately um, spent a lot of time and continue to spend a lot of time trying to be that person. That if, if only I can be X at Y, then life will figure itself out. If only I can be uh, this rich or, you know, and, and I think we spend a lot of our times because of the juxtaposition of the different pressures that we get from every direction. I certainly spent a bunch of time in my 20s and even recently trying to plug in different variables into this happiness formula of go get a degree, then go get that job. And that means more money and that means more prestige and never really kind of figuring it out that it wasn't, none of that was going to make a difference. It was just trying to figure out, like you said, Sarah, like what does happiness and success mean for me? And then figuring out how to get there instead of let me go into these, all these different directions that people have said can lead to success and happiness. And and let's see if that actually works out. Um, I, I think there's a lot more to be said in the, the difference, familiarity or confusion of the two themes of success versus happiness. Um, people think that success leads to happiness. Uh, I tend to disagree. Um, they're also not mutually exclusive. Uh, but it, it's a really, really, I, I, I think to, without, certainly without disrespecting our entire generation of our parents who came here to a foreign country, um, whether it was on their own terms, and for a lot of our friends who fled war and were refugees here, and that's a different context as well. Um, they did the best that they could. Mm-hmm. And they told us to do things that in their paradigm of their context of the world that they grew up in made sense. Sure, in the 70s and 80s, post-war Korea, doctor, lawyer, engineer was actually the West, best way to get out of poverty and to set yourself up. But when they moved here, 
they didn't change that definition because this was a new country in a new new decade. Um, I, I think there's so many things that I continue to see when I talk to students at various levels of, I still feel like I am expected to do mm. this mm. and I don't. And that's part of the reason why I want to do this podcast, right? Like mm. let's put as, as many job, I mean, forget the job titles. Let's put a bunch of different human beings mm-hmm. into a conversation and saying, look at all these cool people living their best lives. They're still trying to figure shit out and that's okay. Yeah. And, and just, I, the if there was a theme for this show, it's like, Whatever the hell you're going through, it's okay because somebody else is going through it. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of comfort in that. Yeah. Sure. Um, but that's all, sometimes that's all it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I talk to, you know, high school and college students often and the their facial expression when I literally tell them that I'm 36, father of two, I'm still trying to figure out what the hell to do with my life. <laughs> it's this sense of like confusion, but relief. And it's, but I wish more people my age or even older were honest with themselves mm-hmm. and to make themselves vulnerable in their room. Because when you're in high school and you look at somebody who's 36, you think, holy shit, he has everything figured out. And the reality yeah. is that we don't. Um, but I think we put, put all this pressure on ourselves to be perfect and that every misstep is the end of the world. Um, which brings us to this next topic of what we are going through right now and this mm-hmm. pursuit of perfection this pursuit of achievement and holy shit, I've done everything I was supposed to do for the last X amount of years. I had this golden ticket to this internship this summer, this job offer and schools canceled. They sent us home. Professors don't understand what we're going through. I'm not going to be able to walk across the graduation stage. And on top of it, I don't even know if I have the job that I was promised. Mm. Uh, we know for sure at this point on April 16th that numerous companies have canceled internships. More companies have virtualized their internships, which is a completely different experience. Mm. Some have even gone as to say, your internship is canceled, but here's your full-time offer for next year. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Or a combination thereof, or even on the full-time offer front, then it's you can't start in July anymore. We don't know when you're going to start, but you have a job, but we just don't know when. Mm-hmm. What are those conversations like and how are students dealing with it? Yeah, it's such a such a challenging time, I think, to be a, a college student if there ever was. Um, not that it's the same, but when I was finishing graduate school, um, this was around the 2008, 2009 recession, housing recession. And I just remember being so thankful to have a job offer uh, for Pomona College. Um, and I started you know, beginning of February 2009, a few months before I graduated. And I just remember that the week that I started my job there, the college pre- president had a town hall with every staff member and said, we're on a hiring freeze, like my second day on the job. And so it's very real that that fear that you're going to be left out, you're not going to you worked so hard to this point, and now what you work for has gone away. Um, what I can tell you now with the students that I'm meeting with is that I'm telling them, you know, this is a kind of a quiet period for a lot of us, uh, for, for job seekers, for companies, because they're all trying to figure out how to do business, how to stay operational, how to keep the lights on, how to keep their workers employed, rather than laying a bunch of people off. Some companies have done that because 
financially that's the situation they're in. But other companies are just trying to keep people employed that they're, they're currently employing. So they don't have capacity to be able to add on new people, whether it's interns or full-time hires. So this is sort of like a, a, a pause period for a lot of places. And so, you know, check, definitely check in with your company or your organization if you haven't heard back. So definitely be in communication with it. Find out what, the, how they're doing. Are they okay? Are they, are they operational? What, what, what is the, the status? And that could change week to week. So just stay connected with them. Figure out if your offer is still is still on. If so, what will that configuration look like? Will that be a virtual, one hundred percent virtual? Um, is it wait and see in July? Uh, just kind of get a sense of what their um, tentative timeline or, or uh, you know outline looks like, um, and then figure out a plan. You know, figure out okay, what what am I hoping to learn this summer? If I am going to continue the internship, how can I stay connected with? The people? How do I still build relationships? How do I still support in, in a way where I can add value and show my value? Um, so definitely think about that. But for those students who have had their internships canceled, um, very unfortunate, but I am seeing also opportunities for virtual internships at other companies. You know, I've seen students on LinkedIn um, be very vulnerable and say, you know what, my internship was canceled. And uh, I'm really sad about that. But I'm not going to let that knock me down. You know, I'm, I'm persistent. I'm resilient. I'm going to look for something else because I, ha- I have a lot to offer. Or they're starting their own initiative, you know, their own venture in some capacity, you know. So I think that in a time of crisis or time of uh, panic for a lot of people could be also time of opportunity, whether it's building new skills, launching your podcast. I know a student that's launching a podcast this month, brand new, uh, about film critiques and film <laughs> film reviews on his own because that's what he's passionate about but we all have a little bit more downtime now so think about how you want to leverage that you know what is something that you've always wanted to do and you put it on the back burner you know so yes this is a really difficult time because things are not going the way you you planned but maybe that's for the better you know maybe maybe this is an opportunity for you to do something great so i tell people let's be agile. Let's be adaptable. Let's be flexible because this is going to serve you well in, in the next 20, 30, 40 years of your career. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope this gives a lot of students and young folks to realize that um, that life happens to you and you have to deal with it. And that one, it's not the end of the world if you don't get to work at XYZ company. Two, we're all going through this together. So there's no way in hell anybody's ever going to give you any sort of crap ever if they see a gap in 2020, right? right? Like, oh, you graduated in 2020. Like the first words were like, wow, I'm sorry. Right. Like there's going to be no judgment from any reasonable human being to say, holy crap, 2020 was a bad year for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Like we're all going through it together. So I I think, I hope that coming out of it, people realize that you're not the only one going through it. The whole world is, you're not the only one missing graduation. Everybody is. And yes, it sucks for you deal with it and, and go through your processes. But also realize that you're doing noble things by helping other people stay safe mm-hmm. and Absolutely. do yeah, do the things that you didn't know how to do or mm-hmm. that you were too busy to do. Clubs are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, extracurriculars are gone. Um, you don't have time. Like, so go on LinkedIn, right? Like there are amazing students that make a career, literally a career out of sharing information on LinkedIn. People are on LinkedIn more than ever right now because yeah. they're home. And either because they're looking to help people or looking for opportunities themselves, 
And if you ever wanted a phone conversation with somebody in your industry that was unattainable, guess what? They're home too, right? <laughs> like, it, there's no excuse of, yeah. you know, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Well, me too, right? Like, we're all <laughs> home. So um, there's, there, there's so much um, actionable things that, you know, literally turning lemonade or turning lemons into lemonade. And um, it's scary. We're all going through it. So if you're listening and you're a student, do not fear and reach out to people. Um, find Sarah on LinkedIn. She posts mm -hmm. some great stuff. Um, she is connected to every, I think Sarah knows every single career center uh, professional in greater Southern California and beyond. Um, it's a network and a, a group of people that are extremely helpful, regardless of whether you're a student at one of their schools. Um, look, it's people out there want to help. And, and so you have to find the helpers. And again, we're, we're week three or week four of this now. You're probably three or four weeks away from graduation. The world is not crumbling down. Um, we'll figure it out together and you have to align yourself um, with good people. And look, if, if you're and your parents might be taking this opportunity to greatly encourage you to go to grad school, like explore that too. It's not all bad, right? So um, Sarah, I, I want to thank you for your time, for sharing your insight. Uh, I love talking about career. I love talking to students. So we could have this conversation for six more hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so maybe we do, um, I don't know, maybe we, we turn this into a more of a live discussion with a student uh, audience yeah. at some point on, on Facebook so or something. Yeah. Uh, I think that'd be fun because, um, I mean, we're, we're a bunch of 30-something-year-olds mm -hmm. talking about what life is like as a 21-year-old, which <laughs> we don't know really. So, yeah. uh, but, but I do. <laughs> so I, I want to thank you for your time and end the show the way that we end all of our shows, which is an homage back to the name of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, Asian Americans for me is a love letter to us and from us, but really for all of us, because it's the things that I wish we had when we were growing up in the 90s. It's things that I hope to share with my kids so that they don't have this discussion 20 years from now. They shouldn't have to. Um, so I will start the letter, and if you could help us finish out the show uh, by completing the letter, Dear Asian Americans. You are unique and special. And all of our journeys is to figure out what makes us uniquely special. And I hope that you can share those gifts with the world and make a huge positive impact. Thank you for sharing that. Um, a, a needed yet absolute reminder, mm -hmm. wherever you're in life, you are enough. You are doing the best that you can. Yep. You are the embodiment of generations of human sacrifice and human advancement. And you are the living legacy for so many of your future generations. So do not feel down. We will get through this shit together. It's tough times, but stay strong. If you want to reach out to me or Sarah on LinkedIn to have more conversations like this, please, please, please do reach out. Stay safe out there, everybody. Be well. And uh, look for me and Sarah live on Facebook Live. <laughs> Soon, we hope. <laughs> yep. Thank, Thank you, Sarah. You. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening again, and I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah. If you're a student out there uh, worried and concerned about what your summer and uh, future career prospects look like, um, as mentioned, please do reach out to Sarah on LinkedIn or myself. Um, we'll try to help. If we can, we'll try to connect you with somebody else who also can be of help to you. Um, if you found this podcast episode helpful and it resonated with you, please do consider sharing out the episode and the show with a couple friends on social media. 
Follow us and like us on Instagram and Facebook at The Eurasian Americans. And there you'll also find ways for you to apply to be on the show yourself. As always, be safe, be healthy. We'll continue to celebrate, support, and inspire our fellow Asian Americans. Thank you so much for listening. This has been your host, Jerry Wan, and I'll see you next time.